Hello, welcome to Home Baking. This is a podcast hosted by me, Kate, which is all about adventures in home baking via ingredients, history and culture. Today, we are going to be talking about using miso in baked goods, and we've got some exciting recipes to talk about. We're going to be talking about a miso maple loaf. We're going to be talking about miso brownies. We're also going to be talking about miso brown butter cookies. And finally, we're going to be talking about a savoury recipe, which is a really easy no need for cachia with miso garlic parmesan butter. So we've got so much to talk about. We're also going to talk a little bit about the history of miso and a couple of other bakes that I want to try but haven't been able to fit in. (laughs) So let's get started. History of miso, let's go. So as you may well know, it's a fermented soybean paste um, that's made with salt and koji, which is a fungus. Often um, like koji is kind of comes from fermenting rice, I think. Um, And miso is often commonly made with rice or barley, sometimes seaweed. It's nutritious, it's biologically rich, you know, in the same way that a lot of fermented foods are. But we only come across like a few different varieties uh, in in a lot of countries um, outside Japan, especially this, this one that I'm in right now. Um, so the main ones that I have come across and that you may come across are white miso uh, or shiro miso, which has got a bit of a sweeter um taste it's got some kind of notes of it like salted caramel um or even vanilla um but it can also be quite salty and it is still savory there's a red miso which is also, which is richer meant to taste a bit more like slow cooked onions or like beef broth um which is called akamiso but there's an absolutely huge variety in Japan definitely more than just two. So for example, there's uh, mugi or muji, which is made with barley, tsubu, which is made with whole wheat, genmai, which is made with brown rice, moromi, which is like a chunky type of miso, uh, nanban, which is like hot, mugi, which is made with buckwheat, hadakamugi, which is made with highland barley, uh, nari, which is made with cycad pulp, and uh, gokoku, which is made with um, five different grains. Commonly red miso, aka miso, is, uh, involves like barley and it's aged longer. That's why it has a more deep um, kind of flavour profile. You know, a bit in the same way that uh, if you were to eat a fresher piece of parmesan, it would be less salty it would be have a cleaner taste and um yeah it wouldn't be as kind of complex salty and kind of rich on the palate as an aged parmesan would be the fermenting fermentation process creates loads of different flavor compounds and it also causes a, a kind of slow version of the maillard reaction which is browning over time. Now, commonly we use heat to create the Maillard reaction. Um, For example, if you were to brown some onions um, or basically anything, if you're browning it, (laughs) if, for example, um, you know, if you roast some potatoes, you might also be creating a Maillard reaction there. Um, But yeah, the the sort of aging and the the different, um, the microbes involved cause a mild reaction so yeah it's a really really interesting ingredient and I found that I bought two different two different shiro miso 
and I actually found them a little bit different from each other. So I bought one which was the Clear Spring brand. I don't know how available this is outside Britain. But that one I found a bit saltier and richer. And I bought another one which was from Miso Tasty, which um, has it seemed to have won a, a great taste award from the Guild of Fine Foods. But I kind of preferred the Clear Spring one. They were both very nice. Um, but the Clear Spring one was definitely a lot saltier. So I'd say, like, try your miso before you use it in your baking or in any recipe, you know, um, to make sure that you add the right amount. Because when I, if I added more of the clear spring, it was much more, had a much more profound effect on the bake in terms of making it quite salty, for example. Whereas the miso tasty brand was definitely a lot lighter. Um, but yeah, those are two. I think really good brands that you can find outside of East Asian grocery stores. So my area like doesn't really have that many Southeast Asian people living here. Um, there are quite a few Japanese uh, restaurants and um, dessert bars and all sorts of things in London. You know, it's obviously a really multicultural city, but uh, there's not a huge amount of Japanese migration here. So there aren't like pockets of Japanese areas, for example, so much. Um, yes. And there, and in my area, there's not really a proper Southeast Asian shop within a couple of miles. I wouldn't say there's like a little shop in the market um, in the mall, but it's not particularly brilliant. And it's definitely not majority Japanese ingredients. Um yeah, so I think, yeah, it's, uh, it, but I was able to find those. I think it is quite a kind of trendy ingredient. And I th I mean, everyone was using it a year ago or so, weren't they? It's like really trendy in baking around a little while ago. Um, but I have seen today the Wall Street Journal published an article with three different miso recipes. I can't help but think they're ripping me off. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, so it's definitely still, it's still doing the rounds, isn't it? Now, before we move on to the specific recipes for today, I just wanted to mention a couple of quick housekeeping things, as well as a couple of recipes that I wasn't able to try. So housekeeping wise, as I said last week, we've now moved over to Substack. So you just need to go to homebaking.substack.com. Please do subscribe. It helps me infinitely to promote the podcast. It's really nice to see that people value it enough to get the emails. It is still it is free. Um, and I've also put up all of the old blog posts, which took me a couple of hours from the old website. Some of the links are still to the old website if, if there's links to other recipes in it. But I'm going to try and work on that in the next week or two. And uh, yeah, and I want to maybe do an index on Substack as well. There is already an index on the old website, which you can use. Um, but yeah, Substack's, I think, a really nice clean layout. It's easier to scroll down and see different episodes and then find the recipe. Um, you do not have to subscribe. So when the box pops up, pops up on your screen you can say like no thanks or not right now whatever I can't remember exactly what it says um, and you can still see everything but yeah it does really help me if you wouldn't mind subscribing that's really nice um yeah so that's just some housekeeping and then there's a couple of things that I really wanted to try but I haven't been able to so um one of them is there's a Ravneet Gill recipe which is kind of available online you could definitely look it up which is for a chocolate tart with a miso caramel and it's basically like um lightly crushed bran flakes so kind of nutty tasting and a few hazelnuts in there as well which are just kind of bound together with a bit of butter essentially as the base then you've got a chocolate ganache and then a caramel that you stir miso in into the end and then you swirl that caramel through the chocolate ganache. 
really like nice looking recipe but I haven't tried it out yet so I can't sort of 100% say for sure whether whether you should go for it but it looks great the other recipe that I was really curious about um was one from David Leibovitz who I love everyone loves him don't they really and it's strawberry miso ice cream just sounds utterly fabulous it's oh yeah it's roasted strawberries as well which oh so good so I'm I'm looking forward to trying that in the summer probably um around June maybe July but like June is kind of peak strawberry season uh here at the moment um the strawberry season in Britain I don't know if this is due to global warming or what exactly but it does seem to be getting earlier it used to much more be like late June early July it's also partly because things are grown in polytunnels and greenhouses um so that's extends the season but yeah it, it does seem to be getting earlier um and, and I mean yeah we've been using polytunnels and greenhouses for ages so it's not really that's not really new um but yeah it does seem to be getting a few weeks earlier which is I don't know interesting maybe worrying so I'm looking forward to trying that ice cream when I can get hold, my hands on some locally grown strawberries let's talk about our recipes I'm so excited they're all so so good I've categorised these bakes by kind of how miso-y they are, if you like. So how subtle they are or how prominent the miso is. And also how unusual they are. So I've started off with what I've called a beginner's recipe, which is miso maple loaf. This is a really lovely recipe from the fantastic food writer that everyone will have heard of called Dory Greenspan. I also really enjoy being receiving her her newsletter it's great um so recommend that one it's called exo dory and i am in a facebook group of lovely 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 people who are her sort of fans including me um which is called i think it's called bacon tell i really recommend joining it's great (laughs) it's a really nice community um everyone's so like supportive and and encouraging like bakers are just nice people really aren't they a lot of the time so um yeah this recipe is uh more subtle on the miso it's a kind of back note um rather than a prominent flavor uh but it is really nicely balanced um i really liked the use of the maple and the miso together it's uh and it has buttermilk in it and the kind of combination of those um, gives a really nice tender crumb and the it's quite, quite a high sugar content because it's got caster sugar maple syrup and and miso has got some sugar in it as well so the kind of combination of all of those kind of gives you a really nice caramelized crust but do keep an, a good eye on it and make sure your oven isn't isn't too high if anything, it could be a few degrees lower than 350 Fahrenheit or 180C. Like that's better than being a bit higher, I'd say, because it does burn quite easily. Mine was like quite a nice dark brown, but um, had it been any darker, it would have been like on the burnt side. So that's just something to be aware of. The other thing that I found is the um, she uses orange zest, which is lovely, lovely, lovely. I had quite a large orange, so it made it a bit too orangey for me because I did want to sort of taste the balance of flavours. So if you've got a big orange like I had, I'd use half, um, the zest of half, just to kind of balance that. It's also got vanilla in it as well. It's got a really nice different mix of flavours that really balance. Um, that's something that I've been thinking about recently is like, how balance in sweet baking right like there's since I I think one of the reasons I've been thinking about is that 
those I tried as you know I did a biscuit special as you may know for Christmas and these biscuits that I tried um that were a kind of Leibkuchen amaretti mashup thing that was a recipe from Verena Lochmuller they were just so complex I just couldn't get over the different flavors in them and how I could actually taste every single flavor it was crazy it's like hazelnut almond um the different spices like I could actually get everything um they and also there was some like there was caramelized uh what they called sorry um uh peel <laughs> um there was um that there was the mixed peel in there as well and you could just kind of get absolutely everything it was amazing and chocolate I forgot about the chocolate so I've been thinking about like how can you make sweet baking that really like balances flavor and has a more complex flavor profile and obviously part of that could be using savory elements like miso um but also just having yeah a few different flavors going on and I really liked this recipe for that now just I'm not going to go through the instructions um if you uh you can look this recipe up online it's on New York Times um, I'll also send through some my, my notes via the newsletter, or you can look it, look it up on the website as stated earlier. Um, but it's essentially just the creaming method, you know, where you cream the butter, sugar, salt, maple syrup, and zest. You add the eggs gradually, you add the dry ingredients, you add the buttermilk, and then you bake it um, at a low to moderate sort of temperature, like 350, 180C, something like that um for sort of about 50 to 55 minutes I found it was definitely done at 50 and I would start checking it maybe at 40 or 45 um so yeah that's a really simple recipe really simple instructions but just really nicely balanced so that's one that I would recommend um let's talk next about intermediate uh, intermediate miso so these are our miso brown butter cookies. And I do think that these are my favorite recipe actually of this podcast, which is saying a lot because four banger recipes. Now, this recipe is from Millie Taylor and you can look this up online as well. Um, I'm going to send out my notes with some adjustments via the newsletter. What I loved about these is the combination of the brown butter and the miso it gave these cookies or biscuits as I would say in my British English um it's gave them depth nuttiness roundness of flavor and I used the clear spring miso that was saltier so it had quite a like a briny note which you don't really expect in a cookie but it was really really good um I think I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there I'm gonna put this out there into the world this is the best chocolate chip cookie I have ever eaten. And as you might know, I am obsessed with chocolate chip cookies. We did an episode on it a while ago where I tried three different banger recipes. Um, probably my favorite of which was the brown butter ones. Brown butter and miso in a chocolate chip cookie, game changer. Like it is so so good nearly swore then <laughs> so flipping good really really nice now um so my notes on the recipe are follows so uh, are as follows like I would say that you could increase the amount of miso a little bit if you want so I've given a range so the original recipe says 50 but I think you can go up to 70 if you're a miso head like me um, you can take it that far. I would really, yeah, I uh, would say it's it's worth thinking about. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I changed was I didn't. I, I hate it when, like, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not a big fan when recipes use more than one type of sugar when I don't really see the need. Like I feel like so I just use light brown sugar basically, which I felt really added that more like caramelly flavor even more so um so that's something else that I would recommend I used milk chocolate um 
here because I think it really nice worked nicely. It, as you know, you know, like dairy kind of mellows things a bit. Um, and so it kind of balanced really nicely with the strength of some of the other flavors, I thought. And I used a chopped milk chocolate that was about 35%, 37% cocoa solids. So I do use, personally, I do really like to use quite high quality chocolate. I think it really makes a huge difference. And um, I do think that I'm not in, you know, I'm not nationalistic in any way, shape or form. But I do think European chocolate tends to be better than North American and I would go for chocolate with the lowest amount of ingredients. Like I'm not against chocolate which has additions like, you know, hazelnuts or, um, I don't know, dried fruit potentially, depending, or like caramel or whatever. What I wouldn't necessarily use that in baking, depending, um, because it depends if I wanted that amount of flavour in, in the bake or if I was balancing the chocolate with other flavours. Um, but what I mean by the lowest amount of ingredients is good chocolate is just cocoa cocoa solids with cocoa butter and sugar. That's it. Like there's no vegetable oil, there's no like corn syrup, there's nothing like that. And chocolate that's like that melts better. And it, in my opinion, tastes better. Um the other thing that happens with North American chocolate is there's some sort of alkali, alkali I think it's an alkali, al, I can't say it, alkalinization process that makes it taste a bit strange. Um, so that's another reason. Um, that's why I pref that's another reason I prefer sort of European chocolate. But yeah, I actually, I know when people come here, they really like Cadbury's. And I think Cadbury's is better than your standard American chocolate. Um, like Hershey's, for example, which I don't really like. But for me, Cadbury's is naff. Like <laughs> I'm, I actually, I'm, I'm going in for like Green and Blacks, Tony's Choco Lonely. I'm going in for the French brands um, that you can buy online, the Couverture chocolates, which are good, really good for melting. Um, you know, Cacao Barry. I'm going for Valrona. Like I'm really quite particular about chocolate. Um, but anyway, so back to the recipe, got really quite sidetracked. Um, it's, yeah, a really simple recipe. So we've got in it, we've got 150 grams of butter, 130 grams of light brown sugar, an egg, uh, a large um, by EU standards or extra large by US Australian standards, which is about 55 grams um, or 60 grams or so. Um, 55 grams without the shell, I think. Now, it's also got a teaspoon of vanilla um, extract or bean paste. It's got half a teaspoon of baking powder, a quarter of a teaspoon of bicarb, 50 to 70 grams of white miso, as I said earlier. Um, you, there's that range. There's 200 grams of plain or all-purpose flour. 180 grams of chopped milk chocolate, which I think is slightly increased from the recipe. Um, and then flaky salt, which I do recommend um, for sprinkling over at the end. And uh, I'm not going to sort of go through the entire um, instructions, but essentially you brown the butter. If you've not browned butter before, it's not hard. You cut it into chunks, melt it. Once it's nicely melted, you can turn up the heat a little bit, potentially stir it or swirl it every so often and heat it until you see that the specks of milk solids have turned brown. Um, it is fairly easy to burn, so just kind of keep a good eye on it. Um, you don't necessarily want black specks, although to be honest, they're not horrendous, Like, but um, you do want it more of the dark brown. Um, and then I poured that into a large bowl to cool down. Um, I then add, uh, you then add the butter, sugar, and then the egg and vanilla, and then the dry ingredients, and then finally the chocolate. You then refrigerate that. So this is something that I'm really like into is like aging doughs. Um, 
strange things that I'm into, isn't it? But um, so you definitely want to refrigerate it for at least an hour because then it's going to be kind of cool enough to handle and the flour properly absorbs the wet ingredients so that it bakes really nicely and evenly. Um, but you can leave it for overnight or even two days. And then I find that the flavors kind of get to know one other one another a little bit better. Um, yeah, I just really like it. Um, it's not a huge difference. So like, it's definitely not like something to be like panicking about like oh oh god I've got to make my cookies two days in advance like absolutely not but if you you know if you've got a boring Monday afternoon it's a nice thing to do and then you can bake them off on Wednesday like it's sort of if it's convenient to you then I'd say go for it um and then you bake them off uh you sort of roll them into balls you bake them off for about 10 minutes um, I preferred smaller balls than were in the original recipe um, so I just went for balls of about 45 grams rather than 90 which is like the size of like a ping pong ball um, yeah um, nice even temperature when you're baking so do end batches if you need to and then once you've pulled them out you might you might want to sprinkle over a little bit of salt um, and yeah then you can leave it cool serving it at room temperature or warm so yeah as I say I absolutely loved these these are props my favorite recipe of this episode but don't do stick with us because the other two are also bangers I think the focaccia is in like is up there it's a very close second um okay so now we're going to be talking about something that's a bit more of an unusual recipe which is you know I've kind of categorized this as, as expert level miso so it's unusual. The miso is fairly prominent. And I'm going to explain why I think that might be, scientifically speaking. Um, it's also because it's vegan and it's made with chia seeds rather than egg. Really, really squidgy. Really squidgy. Um, and there's not a huge amount of flour in it. So they're very, very dense brownies. Now, I love that. Like we really, really have a taste in this country for like fudgy brownies, but not even like fudgy, like actually like you could like put your finger in it and leave an impression. Like they're like barely baked. <laughs> so I love that. Um, They are prop- they're baked for long enough for it to be safe and everything. But like, yeah, I love that. But if you don't like that kind of brownie, you will not like these if you're a cakey brownie person. Um, and they are quite intense, like they're, you know, they're made with dark chocolate, partly to be vegan friendly as well. Um, but yeah, they're quite a kind of like robust flavor profile. Yeah. So the ingredients are, you've got five tablespoons of milled chia seeds. Now I couldn't find milled chia seeds in a reasonable like quantity so I actually just milled my own by sticking them in a blender um so you need like something with small blend small blades rather I tried my food processor that did not work because I think the blades were too big for those tiny seeds so you want something like a blender or a um something that you would like grind nuts in something like that um to sort of mill chia seeds if you need to mill them yourself um yeah and they they you just want it to look like a kind of flower that's what the consistency you're going for um so the five tablespoons was about 24 grams they're quite light um or you know not very dense until you mix them with water you also want 150 grams of oil the original recipe calls for flavorless coconut oil, which is incredibly difficult to find. So I, I just used a different neutral tasting oil. So um, I think I used sunflower, but like grapeseed would be good. Something along those types of lines. You also want um, 250 grams of dark chocolate. 
Um, mine was around 70% cocoa solids, so quite intense. You want 350 grams of light brown muscovado sugar, which really added a really nice like caramelly flavour to these. Mm, so good. You want 120 grams of plain or all-purpose flour. And then you want about 45 grams or three scant tablespoons of white miso. Because I used clear spring, it was quite intense. So that's why I've said scant. If you've got a milder tasting miso that isn't as salty, you could have those be more kind of like correct tablespoon measures, if you see what I mean. And the original recipe calls for quite a lot of salt and my miso was salty. So I would say reduce that salt, um, especially if you're using a salty miso. Like I just used a pinched um, and that was better. Um, yeah, so those are our ingredients. Now, I think the reason why they're so intense and squidgy is that partly because we're using chia seeds rather than eggs, which don't dry out as much when you bake them, partly because we're using oil, we're using a lot of it. Now, fat, carries flavor on your palate like on, on your tongue those the sort of fat I don't really know how exactly how it works but the kind of the fat will bind flavor so it kind of like makes things taste more do you see what I mean um not exactly like salt you know uh, salt partly has its own flavor um more so um, but it does kind of, yeah, fat is something that's really important in bringing out flavour of things. And I think the amount of it, which is quite a lot, kind of makes these quite intense tasting. Also, the other thing it does is that it doesn't make them dry out as much. Like if you were using butter, it would dry out a lot more when you bake it. Um, because butter is, has got water content, it's lower in fat. Um, so yeah. Um, but I really liked how squidgy these were. Um, then you've got the dark chocolate, which is intense, you know, especially if you use a high cocoa solid content. Um, the sugar, there's a lot of it and sugar also enhances flavor. So you've got the miso, the salt, the sugar and the fat all enhancing or carrying flavors. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting recipe, but I do, re I did really like it. Um, but with those kind of caveats of just being aware of the amount of salt and um, and um, the type of miso, um, measuring everything quite thoroughly, like quite um, accurately, I think it's important. Um, so in terms of the method, um, essentially, uh, so rather in a traditional brownie recipe, what you do usually is you like whisk the eggs and sugar and then you melt the chocolate and butter and then you like add the chocolate and butter to the whisked eggs and add the flour um and then that, those kind of whisked eggs give it love that lovely crackly top um because you're not doing that you don't get a crackle top but it's just really fudgy so what you need to do in this recipe is you need to mix the milled chia seeds with some water 270 milliliters to be precise and set that aside and then what that does is it kind of blooms and it turns into like a sort of gel it's really intriguing um and like chia seeds are by the way chia seeds actually taste quite nice um like if you heard this recipe maybe i should have said this at the start like oh god it's vegan and it's got chia seeds to me that's like such a turn off like like is it actually nice or is it just like going along with some sort of fad? But I've had chia seeds in cookies at a bakery near my work, which is a really, really good bakery called Need a Little. Um, it's about K-N-E-A-D, um, of course. Uh, and they have a chia seed biscuit or cookie, which I really, really like. They don't have a strong flavor, but they taste really nice. They taste like nutty. Um, maybe a little bit like poppy seeds, I guess, is kind of the closest thing I can, I can say it tastes like. Yeah, they actually taste nice. Um, who knew uh, that it wasn't just some sort of weird health fad? Um, so yeah, once you've got, you've got that kind of chia seed gel, um, 
And then rather than melting chocolate and butter, you're going to melt your chocolate in your oil. Um, just until that's melted, just on a low heat. Then you add the chocolate mixture to the flour and sugar. Stir that together. Then add the miso, pinch of salt. Um, and then transfer to a greased lined pan. Um, a 20 centimetre one is good, which is about 8 inches square. And then bake it for 45 minutes at 350 or 180C. Um, so it's quite damp still when you take it out, but trust the process. It's really, really delicious. It's very unusual. It's a good bake to try out on people who are real baking baking lovers, you know, who um, have kind of seen it all and you want to surprise them with something different. Like it's it's really, really nice. And if people f- usually find a lot of baked goods too sweet, it's also a good one to make for those types of people because it is definitely not too sweet. It's definitely like, you know, really got quite a lot of depth of flavor. It's got bitterness. It's got saltiness. It's just a really interesting thing and really nice. So, yeah, that's a, it's a pretty solid recommendation for those. And then finally, we are going to talk about our savoury miso recipe, which is for a no need for cacia with a garlic miso and parmesan butter. So this is so unbelievably easy to make like ridiculously easy in fact I think the original recipe is called something like ridiculously easy no need for cacia it is on the Bon Appetit website it's by Sarah Jampel um, from 2020 and it's got like nearly 1500 extremely good reviews it's got 4.7 stars Oh, yeah, it's called Shockingly Easy, actually. Shockingly Easy. Um, now, I've I followed most of the recipe. The thing that I've changed is the garlic butter. I added miso and parmesan to it to make it even, like, more incredible. Um, and obviously to get the miso in. Um, and what you end up with is you've got a springy, like delicious focaccia dare I say it moist rather than dry and then you know that moisture jet uh, comes mostly from the olive oil that you're using which is quite a lot as you would with any focaccia that's decent um and then you've also got another type of fat from the butter so you've got two types of fat always like good a good start right and then you've got in addition to that three different types of funk and like all that the just sheer amount of complexity and um umami flavor bomb that you've got coming from the garlic the miso and the parmesan is great it's so flipping good honestly really really delicious i also think they last better than the recipe the original recipe states i had it on day one it was good I had it on day two it was good I think after that it probably would be a bit too a a little bit stale but you could definitely like drizzle a little bit of olive oil over it and put it in the oven to refresh it on day three or as I did you could slice it up freeze it and then get out slices at a time to go with whatever lunch you're eating um and you know you can be a bit adventurous here like I actually served this with a sort of bean and pepper dish um, that's made with like cumin and paprika, which is a kind of c- kind of commonly used in Mexican food, I guess. Um, but it went really nicely. <laughs> so, you know, what gives, I guess. Um, so let's get into talking about the ingredients. Okay. So you want seven grams of instant yeast, or two and a quarter teaspoons of active dried, or 42 grams of fresh yeast. So original recipe is using active dried. I tend to just keep instant in the house because I find it easier to use. 
um but you can use whatever you prefer fresh does tend to have a better flavor if you want to go for fresh but the way you treat them at the start of the recipe is going to be slightly different so if you're using fresh yeast you tend to like break it up with your hands um crumble it um, a bit like you would a stock cube really and then you wake that up in some warm liquid with the sugar or honey and if you're using active fried you don't need to crumble it but you do need to do the same you sort of wake it up or sort of do a pre-ferment I guess in some warm liquid and sugar and honey usually recipes do like half the half the um liquid you use for that pre-ferment bit and um, you only set it aside for like 10 or 15 minutes it's not a big deal um but I do personally enjoy the convenience of instant yeast and I don't find that it makes such a big difference to the flavor that I care um but I'll leave that up to you all right so um you also want two teaspoons of sugar or honey um you want I found that the only negatives people were bringing up about this recipe was the honey um people found that it sometimes didn't interact well with the yeast so I would say use sugar um you want um 625 grams of all-purpose flour now I because of what I had in I used a mixture of strong white and plain but our flour is weak so like it's pr what I used is pretty much like an American all-purpose basically um and you want about eight grams of salt uh fine salt you use a fair amount of salt in this recipe just to let you know but I definitely wouldn't use as much as is called for um you want 590 grams of warm water around like 40 c or 104 fahrenheit is good you want flaky salt for sprinkling you want 90 milliliters 83 grams six tablespoons that should be all roughly the same measurement of a decent olive oil like i would say use an olive oil that you are happy to eat on a salad basically um i used a mixture of a cheaper one and a really expensive one um but definitely has to be pure olive oil because everything else will not taste as nice um and is but isn't is arguably not really really a focaccia at that point um and i am yeah so i think olive oil and chocolate are the one of the two of the things that i'm the most passionate about with regard to ingredients you also want 70 grams of butter uh, for our compound butter that we're going to make at the end two to four garlic cloves depending on their size a tablespoon of miso which actually I did find it was enough here and you could use a red or a white here I used white because it was what I had um, but yeah I think you could probably use a red here because it is a sort of savory recipe um, and I think the garlic and parmesan can probably stand up to that as well um, yeah so that's our ingredients um so it's a pretty standard bread recipe at the start it's very very wet um because it's like near it's like 96 percent hydration so what that means is like the flour to water ratio is almost one to one and that's why it's so nice to have a no need recipe because needing that would be the worst <laughs> it would be a pain um so yeah that's that's nice um and then you want to just transfer that to an oiled bowl and leave it to double in size once you've mixed it all you don't need to do any kneading um hence the no need for catchier uh there is a tiny bit of shaping which i'll explain in a second though um now you want to grease a 13 by 9 inch or 33 by 22 centimeter baking tray with butter uh, the original recipe suggests that you could have a like a smaller surface area, deeper one, potentially, and it gives instructions for that. But for me, that was really quite a deep focaccia. I actually like it potentially a, even a bit thinner and crispier than that. Um, but you do need to bear in mind that this rises a lot, so you need a fairly deep tin, you know, a, few, a couple of inches or a few inches deep. 
and you are greasing it with butter and you're also going to put in a tablespoon of oil and swirl that around um you know so i think that one of the reasons for that is you're going to use butter later anyway so it doesn't really matter using it twice um you're not kind of messing up a flavor profile there the other thing is that it really stops it from sticking really nicely because the butter is if it's at room temperature it's not too warm you know it remains like it it it's not melting so it remains more solid than the oil um and so it sort of helps it prevent sticking to the sides and stuff like that um so the bit of shaping that i mentioned earlier that's what's next is um you use two forks to kind of bring the sides in and over and you do that the whole way around um i hope that makes sense uh you can look on the bon appetit website for a uh, sort of pictures of that then you want to transfer that dough once you've shaped it a little bit to the baking tray pat it out with oil, oiled hands so it reaches the corners and is one even layer then you leave that to rise uncovered due to the oil it's not really going to dry out that much plus you're going to add more oil in in a bit anyway um so leave that to rise uncovered until doubled in size um you could do that room temp i wouldn't do it too warm i think room temp or fridge is better like um if you live in a really hot place probably fridge um and then before baking you you're going to do your dimpling and you're pouring in of the oil which is just the best part isn't it obviously so you want to measure out about four tablespoons of olive oil um oil your hands Press your fingers into the dough vertically to sort of dimple it all over. Then you pour over the oil so that each section has a nice amount of oil. Sprinkle it generously with flaky sea salt. Um, I use Molden, um, which is a local product because it's in Essex. Um, but you can use a different type of flaky thing. It doesn't really matter. Bake that at about 200 or 400 Fahrenheit um for about 25 minutes and then you want to make your compound butter by grating your garlic finely uh putting that in melting your butter in a small saucepan putting the garlic in and letting it cook for about a minute or two just to take the sort of raw edge off it leaving that on a low heat then stir in the miso i found that if i took it off the heat the miso didn't stir in very well that's why i've included that instruction Grate in the parmesan and stir that in and spread that over your bread. So you want the bread to be warm or the butter to be warm or both to be warm. If they're both cold, it will not spread very well. Um, and then, yeah, that's it. Um, it keeps nicely for a couple of days. It freezes well. It's good with so many different dishes it's delicious everyone at work is jealous of my lunches um so i would thoroughly thoroughly recommend that recipe and as i say four banger recipes this week i hope that you've enjoyed this i hope that it inspires you to bake with miso whether it's these recipes or another recipe potentially or putting your own spin on it if you've got a favorite chocolate chip cookie recipe why not try adding a tablespoon or two of miso? Um, if you've got a favourite brownie recipe, why not try adding a tablespoon or two of miso? Do you not see where I'm going with this? If you've got a really nice bread, why not try making a compound butter to go with it? Right? <laughs> There's just so many uses for this fantastically versatile ingredient that I just would love, you know, to see people trying this more so that's it for our recipes and we're just going to talk about what's coming up next now can't wait
Right, well, our next episode is going to be all about confectionery. And there are a few different things that I have. I've already made some of these. I feel so damn organized. I mean, it is partly because I've got to make some of these for work. Uh, I'm doing some baking sessions with the young people I work with, which is very exciting. Uh, so that's partly why I'm organized. But yeah, it's, it's great. So we're going to be talking about honeycomb. We're going to be talking about two different kinds of fudge. There's a classic fudge, which is a little bit tricky or mostly just technical, I think. Um, and there's also a quick fudge made with chocolate and condensed milk, two ingredients. And what else was there? I might try and make marshmallows. And I might talk a little bit about, um, I might talk a little bit about uh, marshmallows. Well, I said marshmallows, didn't I? Oh, yeah. I might talk a little bit about uh, making um, a couple of really easy things with like, you know, like chocolate nests. I have talked about them before, so I'm not going to labour over that. But um, I'm making a Rice Krispie version, which I might briefly mention. And we're going to be going away, my partner and, and I... Yeah, I. I'm going to be going away, so it's I. Um, to the lovely city of Bristol in England, which I've never been to before, despite having lived in England for 32 years. Um, and I might report back on what I've eaten if I eat anything exciting. So that's what we've got coming up next episode. And the episode after that... We are going to start a series together, which is called Bake the World. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> ah, so excited. Now, because I am British, trademark, let's start with Britain. I think more specifically, I'm probably just going to do England. Um, So we're going to start our Bake the World series. And I'm going to try out a Victoria sponge recipe, which is like, it's like Victoria sponge that's gone to America and then come back again. I'm going to try that out. I'm very excited. I'm going to give you some of my thoughts about British baking and my tips and tricks because people think it's a lot more complicated than it is. British baking is meant to be easy, simple and cosy, not meant to be complex, artistic, particularly it's homely. So I want to just chat about that for a little bit, if that's okay. I want to talk about a more unusual bake that you may not have come across that much, which is called Eccles Cakes, which are flipping delicious. They deserve to be famous around the world. They're so good. They're like a sweet puff pastry with dried fruit. If you're not a dried fruit fan, yes, you may not like it, I guess, but I love, love, love them. So I want to talk about those and they're also they're like from an area that my mum is from, which is nice or nearby. Um, Eccles and I want to talk potentially about Bakewell Tart, which is from Derbyshire near where I grew up, which is just one of the most wonderful things on the planet. Deserves to be more famous than Victoria Sponge because it's like, I mean, I think that it tends to be, I don't know, I don't want to say that, but it's I love it. I just absolutely love it. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Um, and I really want to try and make a savoury pie. So let's see next week or uh, next time in two weeks. I'll circle back to see have I uh, will I be able to make all those things in time? I may not. I've got two incredibly busy weeks coming up. Um, but on the other hand, I have done most of the baking for the next podcast anyway. So fingers crossed, I will be able to provide those in time and just as a quick ps or a quick note um i'm gonna send out a bonus a cheeky bonus recipe on the newsletter so if like you've managed to get through this whole podcast listen to me ranting on and on and you you know well done go and sign up and you you'll see a free cheeky recipe 
Um, yeah, and that's going to be a kind of saffron hot cross bun. Hot cross buns at the moment are flooding my newsfeed. But, like, I'm going to tell you straight up, a lot of them are quite boring, the ones I've seen. Hot cross buns are a beauty- beautiful thing. But we need to bring back the saffron bun. It is, I talk, I've talked about it in the podcast before. It's um, it's a f- tradition that has fallen by the wayside in everywhere except Cornwall. Um, and it's truly wonderful. Um, so, like, I and what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna send out is kind of like a mashup of a hot cross bun and a a saffron bun and actually there's a bit of Sally Lund thrown in there as well which is a a bun from Bath Um, so the reason for this mashup is it's got the mixed spice um, from a hot cross bun it's got the currants from a hot cross bun or a saffron bun which I soak in hot water great tip by the way Um, to plump them up a bit and it's got the crosses of a hot cross bun um and it's got the fat content of a sally lun which is almost like a brioche dough so they are soft they are gloriously yellow they are studded with um currants and also the uh, mixed um, orange peel um candied orange peel which i forgot to say and they're stupendous um so sign up and you will receive that in your inbox. Okay, right. I'm going to shut up now because I think I've talked for way long enough. And I cannot wait to talk to you in two weeks. And we're going to be delving into confectionery. So I will see you then. Okay, bye. So my PS for the week is a a philosophical meditation about being a baker. That's slightly over-egging it. But what I want to talk to you about is I presume that the people who listen to this are also, you know, almost borderline fanatical home bakers like me, like borderline obsessed home bakers like me, people who really, really, really love baking. Now, are you the baker amongst your friends and colleagues and, you know, your social circles? Because... I'm going to a party tonight with my with my partner and I'm slightly concerned that everyone I don't know anyone and I'm just the baker. <laughs> I don't I don't really know how to handle that. Do I have to turn up with loads of cake? Because I'm not going to. <laughs> I don't know if there's cake already. Um I don't know. I don't really know. So and people always are like vaguely interested, but then this might be a neurodivergent trait that I have. When people ask me about my baking, I then go on like a 20 minute rant about what I've been baking, what I like, what I don't like, what I'm obsessed with, like how it relates to history and religion, obviously, because I have to do that because it's me. And yeah, people are just like, why did we ask? <laughs> does like does this person ever shut up? So what's it like for you being the baker amongst your social in your social circle? Or do you have close friends or contacts who actually are, you know, you can connect with on this? Because part of the reason, I'm going to be honest, that I started this podcast is nobody I know is as obsessed as I am. And I need to I need to talk about this stuff. It's a need. <laughs> it's a biological need almost. Um, so, yeah, I'm very, really curious how other people find this experience. Um, but, yeah, I really hope you have a lovely two weeks. 
and I can't wait to chat to you soon. Sign up to the newsletter. <laughs> Have I just said that enough times? All right, bye.